to recorder. We're good. All right. So last week we talked about relational wellness, and we talked about how uh, we we kind of imagined what it would be like to have communities where emotional wellness was really taking full effect. And we, we wanted to have a sense of what our schools would look like, what our marriages would look like, if we were actually relationally healthy, what everything would look like. And we had some pretty good discussion on that, but Gene wanted to open up with a question today because we were talking about what it means to give care to other people, and we talked about being a caregiver. So the question we have for you is when you hear the word caregiver, what do you think of? I'm not going to call anybody out. So. Like a nurse. Like a nurse. All right. Okay. Like what I did with my mom for three years. Okay. Caring, taking care of her, making sure like her vent settings. Like a nurse, but also was a little bit more like nurturing. Okay. 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 Guardian. Guardian. Okay. So um, what would a guardian do? Everything from like what parenting is to... Okay. Anyone else have any other? I used to think about licensed hospice care. You know, people getting training and people going to get a license to care for others' hospice care. That's what, you know, that's my immediate thought. Would any of you think of yourselves as a caregiver aside from? You, Jenna, because you did that so much with your mom. Um, would you think of yourself as a caregiver? Maybe our kids. Maybe kind of okay. How about anyone in this room in any type of relationship with coworkers, neighbors, parents, spouse, children? Spouse to be. Anybody? I know I, I mean, am. Care, care, giver. <laughs> caregiver. Immediately when we think of the term caregiver, we think of a role or a responsibility or a vocation almost. You know, um, and you said a foster parent. You know, it's like I'm in this position where I need to give care. Or as a parent, I'm in a position to give care. But we don't think so much of being a caregiver to our spouse being a caregiver to our coworkers. The definition of caregiver is giving care. Yeah, we looked it up in the Greek and Hebrew. It means the same thing there, too. <laughs> Caring for one another. Caring for one another. Now, when you hear it in those terms, caring for one another, oh, wait a second, one another. I've heard that a few times. Where have you heard of that? Like there? Like loving one another, like uh, forgiving one another, like uh, submitting to one another, like motivate. You guys ever hear any of those things? All the one another verses? So now that we've had this discussion, what do you think a caregiver is? Us is the proper answer. <laughs> Yeah, all of us. 
All of us, each one of us is a caregiver. We give care to people. Or let me rephrase that. I hope we give care to the individuals around us. And I will, I will share this. There's a difference between saying, Gene, I care for you, and actually caring for my wife. And that's what this class, this, that's what this series is about. It's about how to train uh, caregivers, training, right? It's essentially to give us training in how to recognize opportunities to care for other people. Have you ever come across a person that you're close with and you know they're just off, but you can't explain why? You don't know why? They're just off. They're just having a bad day. Wow, that's maybe somebody at work, it's really unlike them. And then you go on to finish doing what you were doing or go, keep going on with your next conversation or something. Have you ever done that? Because I know I have. Okay. You know, or I mean, I find myself oftentimes if I go to a conference or, um, you know, an event like a, a training or something at school and we have a lunch break. I find myself gravitating, not necessarily to hang out with my friends, but sometimes with the people that are sitting by themselves. You know, hey, do you mind if I sit with you? Um, I, I, I usually find myself gravitating to the, the ones that seem on the outside. And um, it didn't notice that I did that for a long time. But the Lord put it in my heart. It's kind of like, that's because you always felt kind of on the outside. So now you identify with the outside. So I check to make sure the outside is okay. But one of the things that I've also come to realize is there's a lot of people that are in the middle, up front, and very... Um, even if they're not like a big celebrity, they're very public. And with a lot of celebrities that have committed suicide in the last couple of years, you know, right now what comes to mind is like Robin Williams. You know, a lot of people didn't even know that he was that part. As caregivers, are we sensitive to even the close ones around us to recognize when um, I'm kind of skipping? I don't no, know. You're fine. Um, when people are off, when they might be alone. Yeah. So one of the uh, we're we're going to ask two primary questions today. And the first one we'd like you to discuss uh, together uh, at your table and, and maybe join another table. Join another table in the discussion. What hinders you? What stops you for caring for others? So what hinders you? Is it? I just no, 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 no. Okay, I won't give any clues. Okay. So take a couple minutes. So finish this statement. Join tables. Join tables. Four or five people together. I am sometimes okay. hindered in caring for others because. Okay. I am sometimes hindered in caring for Why don't for we others. care for other people? Okay. Why don't we care for other people? So okay. discuss. Join some tables. Bigger discussion. Bigger discussion. Yeah. What stops us from caring for others? 
Joseph. Don't be. Alrighty, so what were some of the discussions you guys had? What what are some of the things that hinder you? Fear. Fear? Fear. Okay. Sense of inadequacy. Insecurity. 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 Yep. Anything else? Well, we talked over here. Um, got got so much of my own stuff. Lack of motivation. I'm not feeling well. I got too much to do. I don't have enough energy to to give anymore. Tired of caregiving. Yeah. Mm. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. That's all good. Uh, what did you call it, Miss Leona? Compassion, Compassion fatigue. fatigue. You guys, ever heard that? Oh, yeah. Boy, I feel it though. Okay. Well, I mean, Jen, you don't have a problem with me sharing. No. I mean, she basically took care of her mom for 24 hours straight for three years. Close to three years. Yeah. And, um, you know, when you're not getting enough rest for yourself, then you're literally helping to save someone's life on a daily basis, um, you get tired. And then you throw in the, the drug addict father, and you get really tired. Yeah. Yeah, you know, compassion fatigue. And, I mean, in a lot of marriages, um, I'm tired of dealing with the same thing. I'm tired over of... Over and over and over. You know, the other person's not changing, and I'm just tired of putting myself out there. We get tired, compassion fatigue. Um, well, we get impatient as well. Yeah, especially in relationships, close relationships, ironically have the most opportunity for being impatient with that person. Because we are facing it all, it seems like we're facing it all the time, which truth is not true because we don't use those universal terms. And, you know, we, we've talked about games people play and everything else. We're coming home. Um, what was it? Jean had an experience with Jean has an experience with her sister so many times where Jean will express something and then her sister say, "Yeah, well, you should see what happened to me." Okay, I have to share. Okay. Go, I have go to ahead. share this morning. Okay. So, um I'll share this part. Jean's uncle, she travels back East once a year to visit with her uncle and Kerr. He passed away this morning. So, um, so Jean was notifying her sister. I was sister. notifying my um, my sister and um, my sisters, and I called them up, called her up, and I tell her, and uh, you know she asked the questions and whatnot, and then like you know just well what happened, and so I don't really know, don't really know the details. Oh, okay. Um, hey, you got to pat me on the back. I'm like, okay, why do I have to pat you on the back? Well, I went to the doctor and I lost three pounds and my, my blood sugar rates went down. I'm like, oh, that's fantastic. Congratulations. 
And my thought was, I'm glad we're not back there because I wouldn't have patted you on the back. I would have slapped you upside the head. You know, <laughs> I'm just being real. You know, it's kind of like, okay, no problem. I'm still kind of in shock, but I'm glad your A1C went down. Um, it's it's hard in those circumstances to have a lot of compassion. You know, when the individual is kind of focused on themselves. And I can guarantee you, everyone in this room knows someone like that. But but because of that, it's kind of like, okay, how does how does God want me to respond to that? You know, how does God want? And not just when I'm on the phone with her. How does God want me to respond even now as I'm sharing this? You know, and my heart has to feel for her because I know the pain that she's experienced in her life. And while I I really would hope I don't frequently, very, very infrequently would respond like that, um, I gotta pray for her. You know, that's the first place she goes to. Um, it's hard, it's heartbreaking. That actually breaks my heart almost as much as losing my uncle, you know? Um, and one of the reasons why it breaks my heart is because I know that my sister feels very alone she will never tell me that and I don't think she even recognizes it but when someone has to bring all the attention to themselves why? That's, that's generally one of the symptoms that we can identify when someone's alone is when they keep ringing it back to themselves. Because one of the things, we're, what hinders us from being people who care, one of, we heard insecurity, which is also kind of related to anxiety, but for caring for others, the key thing to remember is what aloneness is in their life is to be removed. And I, I know, I, I don't know how many people are in that auditorium right now. They're in the midst of a lot and a lot and a lot of people. They walked in, they were probably laughing with other people. They're sitting and they may be, you know, having fun and, and laughing. And you can bet when they leave that, they are as lone as when they walked in. It doesn't appear that way, but they are. You know, you can be in a family of six and never physically alone, but emotionally isolated and alone. I know that's how we were in our relationship for a long time. And it's important to be able to recognize those things when they're happening because the key thing in being an effective person, in being effective and caring for others is identifying aloneness and working to help remove that aloneness from somebody's life. So how do we identify aloneness? There are symptoms, actually. There are symptoms. What do you think are some of the symptoms? We're a small enough group. Let's try yeah, to... Yeah, we're, we're a small enough Let's group. try to do a discussion. So what, what do you think some symptoms of aloneness are? All right. Well, let me ask you this first off. Has... 
I'm going to raise my hand. Has anyone ever felt alone in the middle of a crowd? Okay. Now, what is your tendency, if, if you want to be vulnerable and sharing, what is your tendency when you're feeling alone? I know what mine is. I withdraw. I isolate. I pull back. I pull back from my wife. I pull back from friends, and I'll just sit quietly. And it's it, it it's easy to mask that because I can pull away. I can disengage and be sitting at a table with somebody. I can be really good at that. So, what are some of the other ways in which you've recognized you're alone and then you've responded? Okay. Thank you for sharing. Anger. Okay. 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 There's times when I tend to get busier because I'll be around people but I won't necessarily be with people, you know? So, um, you know, I'll go to a, a women's meeting, but I'll be the one that's cleaning up in the kitchen or setting up, you know? So I'm surrounded by people um, because I need connection, but I'm still separating myself in the busyness. Because if I actually sat there and had to admit that I was maybe alone or needy, um, it's an uncomfortable spot to be. Yeah. So what we're going to cover over the course of this series is we're going to cover the sense of inadequacy or the sense of insecurity, how to recognize it, what to do about it. We're going to talk about the cost of caring because the true cost is not in actually doing something. The true cost is in becoming something. We have to become more self-aware. We have to be willing to humble ourselves. We have to be willing to vulnerably share with others. For those of you that have been coming to class for a long time, one of the recurring comments that we've heard back is we appreciate how transparent you and Ron, Joe and Leona, David and Ann are. We're vulnerable. So that way you know that we can connect with you. And actually, and I really appreciated what Pastor Ray was talking about today, was hope and encouragement. Because what I've heard routinely is that you guys are encouraged by our story and what we've done and, and what God has done in our lives. And we're happy for that because it, that's giving care. You're receiving care. But... We love the fact that God can take the mess that we were and use that for the greater glory for his kingdom. Can we rephrase that? Sure. 
the mess that we are. No. Yeah, we're still a mess. <laughs> okay, I have a question. Just by sharing what stops us from caring and hearing other individuals voice the same thing, does that take away some aloneness? Does that give you a little bit of encouragement? Just by hearing, wait a second, I'm not the only one that feels inadequate. I'm not the only one that's afraid. I'm not the only one that's not motivated sometimes. All right? I mean, there's not too many times we sit around the dinner table saying, sweetheart, tell me what you feel like when you don't care for someone. I just don't care. <laughs> right? Hearing it voiced, that alone helps take care of some aloneness and knows that we're not weird. We're human beings, and we have responses to different things. And we've, you know, uh, celebrate recoveries. We all have what hurts, hangups, and habits. Habits. Okay. Of course, God's desire is to heal, to redeem, and to um, thank you. Okay, and to restore. You, you know, and it, looking at again the sense of inadequacy a little bit. There are times I felt inadequate because I've compared myself to Gene. Yeah, especially, you know, vice versa. A, a long time ago, back in 2005, my best friend passed away. And Gene has a way for caring for people in those moments. She really does. I don't know what to do. Here's my best friend. I, you know, how do I how do I minister to his wife? What do I say? There's nothing. I, and here's my thought process. There's nothing I can say that Gene can't say better. So I'm just going to shut up. But there are instances in which I can do things that Gene can't. You know, we, we have a friend of ours in Antioch, and he loves it when I come to visit him because I'll wrap my arms around him and just squeeze him really tight and give him a hug. There are things that we all can do to provide care for other people. And the biggest detriment to being able to do that is comparing ourselves to others, even to our spouse. Because I'm glad that God created Jean. I don't want to be another Jean. And she sure doesn't want to be another Ron. Nobody wants that. One of me is enough. Okay? He's pretty awesome, though. Yeah, but one of me is enough. Let's be fair. Hello, Lydia. <laughs> <laughs> My granddaughter is a lot like that. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Something like that. All right. So, uh, what does aloneness look like? I mean, I mean, we've talked about what aloneness looks like, how how we get when we're alone. But when you think about aloneness, what do you think? You know, when, when you see some guy sitting on a bench in Toto Santos Plaza and his head's hanging down, and maybe he's flipping seeds at a pigeon, you know, we can pretty much guess that. But how can you, how can you determine whether or not someone else is all? Joe? A lot of times when you try to connect with that person, that person uh, avoids you very much, you know, one or two times, you know, you send an email or a phone call, you get a voicemail or whatever, but, you know, when you send 10 emails, 
five tags. You know. You even make a phone call. And you make a phone call. <laughs> and the person, you know, the person doesn't reach out. Um, right. Then there's there's isolation. Yeah. Right. There's aloneness. There's isolation. And you know, most times when that happens, you know, there's something going on. Right. There's some kind of hurt. There's some kind of something going on with them that they don't want to connect with you. You may so, be offended them or they may feel offended or yeah, something. Yeah, sometimes though, especially if the person has a relationship with you, if the wound is deep enough that they know that when you call them, right, you're not going to be superficial with them. You're going to be, hey, you know, I haven't heard from you in two weeks or so what's going on, right? And so they know that reaching you is going to force them to have to face whatever it is they don't want to face, right? So that could be that going on. But from our standpoint, we don't know. You know we don't know why they're not connected, right? We don't know if they're sick or oh, it could be anything, right? Oh, I'm just super busy at work and I haven't been able to, but you know, after like five or six emails and two weeks and texts and stuff, it's kind of like, but I do know people like that. I know couples that are like that, where maybe they actually talk every day, yeah. all right? Yeah. But they don't talk significant. They talk about the tasks. Very superficial. Very superficial conversation. And, and they essentially avoid each other in the same house. I know parents and children that are like that. You know, again, I know I was like that with my parents, you know? There's, my parents had no clue who I was growing up. I didn't let them in. And my parents didn't have enough wherewithal to actually want to come in either, you know? Um, we can live aloneness, even in the most intimate relationships, looking like it's fine. We were leaders in a church, holding hands and laughing, but in our home, we were both alone. We didn't know how to recognize that aloneness. We pretended everything was fine. And that's why we, for years now, have been teaching this material. Aloneness is what's killing us all. Aloneness was the very first crisis. You've heard this before from us. Right? It wasn't the original sin. The first time God said it's not good, is when man was alone. And that's when it was just him and Adam chilling in the garden, all right? Adam had clothes, he had shelter, he had food. He had no need for clothes. Okay. Well, he had no, right, that's true. He had no need for clothes, but he was hanging out, walking in the garden with God. But how many right? of us have either used this phrase or heard this phrase from somebody, all I need is God? God himself will tell you that's a lie because he said it in Scripture. He was walking with Adam in the garden, and he says, yeah, this isn't good. I need to create someone to help me for Adam. And so when God tells you something's not good, we really have to look at that. We're meant to be in relationship. Joe? I was going to say, um, one of the things that we learned from uh, uh, Pure Desire at the university last weekend is that Aloneness actually is one of the roots of a lot of addictions. Yeah. Right? And the opposite of addiction is actually community. It's not sobriety. It's actually community. Yeah. It was... That's Ted. good. 
One of the greatest crises is aloneness. One of the greatest tragedies is not only do we not know how to help take away someone's aloneness, sometimes we harbor the aloneness for ourselves. I don't want to. I don't want to help someone out of their stuff because I may have to be vulnerable then. Because then I got to deal with my stuff. And I don't want to answer Joe's phone call or his 20 text messages because he's a psycho stalker. That's beside the point. But I know that. And in addition, <laughs> I know that when he when he does talk to me. He hits to my heart, and it may cause conviction. Um, and frankly, I don't want to be convicted right now. And I don't want to be convicted. I like what you said about authentic relationships. Because authentic relationships, a, a very intimate relationship, is actually a key ingredient to defeating aloneness. And as deeply knowing others, initiating care for others, and then being vulnerable with her own story. And I'm convinced that for the most part, people will be willing to open up if I open up first. But what that does is it puts me in a position of where fear can come up whatever scale that may be, because if I share and then they reject me, that can create aloneness for myself. 
Or if I share something with Jean, if I hesitate to share something with Jean because I know how she's going to react. Those words are the death of intimacy. Prejudging my wife on how she's going to respond based on past behavior, that will kill intimacy. Because what that's doing is it's preventing me an opportunity to allow Gene to care for me. And that's going to create aloneness in our relationship. And I'm going to isolate myself. And I'm going to call it something else. Because in a relationship, especially how many people in this room, and I'm going to raise my hand, legitimately recharge from an opportunity to have solitude? Okay, one hand is sufficient, Jenna. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure I understand the question. Recharge when you're alone. You need that, you need that alone time. The alone time. The alone time. Yeah. There's a very fine line between solitude, which is healthy, because Jesus did that. Yeah. Went off by himself oftentimes. Okay, now just because Jesus did that mean doesn't mean we can use it as an excuse for operating like that 100% of our lives. Sorry, Lee. Yeah, I wanted to join a monk. I wanted to be a monk. But there's a very fine line between solitude and aloneness. And sometimes the people who are closest to us and concerned about us sometimes can't distinguish that. So here's one of the things I will share with Jean. Because she knows my go-to for aloneness is I'm going to isolate and withdraw. So when I'm at, sitting at the table fiddling with a board game or something, how does Jean know I'm recharging versus withdrawing? How does Jean know that? You got it right. You got it right. Who said it? What'd you say? By asking. By asking. Because that's the only way. Yeah. All right. I mean, my own heart is deceitful. All right. That's what we're told in scripture. If my own heart is deceitful and sometimes I don't even know. All right. How the heck am I going to read his heart? But it's to ask. But it's the hardest thing. It can be the hard. And here's an even harder thing. Initiating care for others, knowing that my aloneness in the past has been an injury point for my wife, for Jean. I can go up to her and say, I need some time alone. I'm going to, I'm, I'm not actually going to be leaving the room. I'm going to be sitting at the table. I just need to recharge a little bit. Is there anything you'd like to talk about or anything before I sit down? How about that? Letting her know in advance what I'm doing so that I don't even give the enemy a chance to get in there and say, you know, he's just being alone. He's mad at you for some reason. And then we go into these stupid, oh, and David, I didn't mean to call him stupid, but you go into these questions, don't you? These routines of same old, same old, and it must be about me. Yeah. You know, the one um, we were talking and studying for today, I loved the story of the woman with the issue of blood. Can you imagine her aloneness? All right. She went for years 
all right bleeding now in that society if you were bleeding you didn't go near anyone you weren't allowed to the family parties or you literally had to keep yourself separated you were unclean it was the law it was right? it was the law all right she could have been you know she got to the point in her aloneness that she was willing to risk everything she touched a lot of people on that crowd touched a lot of people which means she made everyone unclean all right her presence her dysfunction made everyone clean and jesus stopped right on a way to a very yeah. important thing he was he was on his way to somebody's house to heal his daughter a leader's daughter. a leader's daughter now that's important stuff huh jesus is on his way to do ministry because oftentimes we hide our aloneness in ministry just saying he was on his way to do ministry and the crowds and i like what scripture said the crowds were pressing in around him which means they're in like this on him jostling him jostling him. and this woman touched his cloak and and scripture says in the moment she touched it she was did jesus have to say anything no did jesus know that she was healed right, because he felt healing go out did he have to stop what did he do? He stopped. Why? Stopped. Why do you think? You know what I, I I I assume because when you look at that story, right? She's a woman with issue of blood, right? Here's a man that's totally surrounded, and we know the issue of the day with women, you know, interacting with men. But again, she had this issue, right? But she was willing to risk because going through her mind had to be, right? What would happen if this man knew or somebody saw me or this or that? I had to think that she had been watching Jesus for a while. And somewhere she felt that he was safe enough for her to try to do that. And his reaction validated what she, who she thought he was, right? Mm -hmm. Because, like you said, he stopped, right? And he didn't have to. And he didn't have to. He could have just said, oh, well, somebody just touched me. I got to keep going. Yeah. Or, you know, yeah, this woman touched me, whatever. You know, it's great she got healed. I'm going, right? But he really validated, to me, he really validated who she thought. He was all the time. And he created what I thought the biggest thing he created was safety. He did. And, and what I like is that he not only validated who she thought he was, he also in that moment validated her. Mm -hmm. Exactly. She was worth enough. She because she was worth stopping for. Well, she kind of epitomized what he was preaching about at that, yeah. that time, you know, who he associated with. Yeah. And I think it like showed that. This lady has so much faith, like she's seen what I'm doing. Yeah, yeah. this is what I'm talking about right here. And she, he was on his way to an official who was named in Scripture, by the way. He, he has a name. This woman is just a woman with the issue of blood. We know her by her issues. And Jesus stopped. And then, you know, the crowds gathered up and said, well, it's too late now. 
the little girl's dead. No, she's just asleep. Let's keep going. Then he rose her from the dead. And one of the things that I like about that story is, yes, I, I am. Jesus for for her validated and and created safety. And I think that's one of the hugest things because when we come to Christ, we can come safely. And we're supposed to we're supposed to be Christ, right? So do people feel that same amount of safety coming up to us? Do we actually stop? Do we actually set aside our phones? Do we actually set aside whatever we're doing? Do we set aside and stop long enough to initiate care? Because she already received healing. Jesus initiated care. And the other side of that, how many times when we see that someone has an issue, we approach care by task. You know? Oh, I, I really haven't been sleeping well lately. Oh, well, have you tried chamomile tea? Melatonin is supposed to be really good. You know, what? Hot, hot glass of milk, right? Turn off your LED lights because there's something with the lights, and, you know. Okay. How many of us to even, I mean, literally, how many of us would respond, I'm having trouble sleeping. Oh, well, try this, try this, try this, try this, versus. I would. Why, I why are you having trouble sleeping? What's going on? We, we don't ask that question. Oftentimes, we have the response right away. And I, I do that. I mean, we teach this stuff, and I do it more often than I want to do it. All right? We go automatically into a, um, um, a fix-it mode. You know, or how many times when... And fixing it is not giving care, by the way. Not being, immediately. Yeah, not immediately. Being a caregiver can mean providing a physical help, but it does not necessarily mean doing that. Um, a lot of times, you know, um, someone will say, oh, I'm having a bad day, or a lot of people, someone passes, oh, I'm sorry. All right? Um, my husband yells at me for saying I'm sorry a lot. All right. It's Jewish. <laughs> my my, I asked my daughter something. I texted her and she said, I, uh, I, you know, she apologized. I said, man, it's that Jewish and Catholic in our family that's just coming out today. I don't understand it. I'm sorry. So, what do we say instead of I'm sorry when someone's hurting? I mean, how many times have you yourself said I'm sorry because it seems like we don't know what else to say? So this class is nothing but practical. What do we say? What can we say in those circumstances? I'm having a really bad day. Uh, work is so overwhelming. I'm having a bad day. My uncle passed, all right? I'm having, what do we say instead of I'm sorry? What are options? I tend to ask if there's anything that I can do with somebody. Because okay. I can't do vague. So I'm kind of like to the point like this. I'm, is there anything I can do to help you through this? Okay, that's good. Now, what if you don't have the capability at that moment to actually come alongside and do something that they ask you to do? What else can be said? Because that's a legitimate thing. I mean, you know, I can't help you in this circumstance physically. Like, just be honest. Like, I don't want to. I don't pretend to know what you're going through right now. Yeah. Um, if there's anything you can do kind of thing or just like just be honest like you don't have to have the answer sometimes just know that hey I'm thinking of you that kind of thing that, that can help too just okay. 
Because yeah. we, I think we yeah. always want to try to have the right answer. But there is no right answer so many times. There is no right answer, and at the same time, there are really bad answers. <laughs> like, have you tried chamomile tea? And there are better answers, such as, you know, my heart really hurts for you right now. Is there any way I can come alongside and support? And it's, you know, and we can share that with so many people. Regardless of, we don't have to be really close for our heart to hurt for someone. If you were in service, how many hearts broke when Pastor Ray was talking about uh, the two cities Cambodia. in Cambodia where there, the girls were being trapped? My heart broke. My heart aches for those girls that were caught up in that mess. And I celebrate that so many are out, but what about those ones that are still in? My heart hurts for them. For the child soldiers that are in Cambodia. Um, yeah. Can our heart hurt for someone else? Can our heart hurt for someone that's overwhelmed at work? Can our heart hurt for someone that um, is in a really bad financial situation? That they got themselves into. I mean, because so oftentimes, you know, for me, it's hard because the thing that gets in the way of my heart hurting for someone, and we're going to wrap up, is judgment. Especially if I've been, or if we've been working with them week after week after week after week. And it's like, I, I, I tried. You know, I did everything I could. I invested all this, and you're still screwing up. That sort of thing. And, and stuff like that goes through my head. It really does. Can my he heart repents. Yeah, I, I do repent. Get to the point about to repent. <laughs> but can my heart still and it's it's hard because my heart still has to break for those people. The 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 message for the last number of weeks has been reaching the seventy five percent. and still developing the 25%. The only way that that's gonna happen is if we recognize that we are caregivers. Not a vocation, but an actual lifestyle of being a caregiver. We can't get to the point where we're codependent and we have to care for everyone and do everything for everyone. That's not what we're called to do. But we are cared, or we are called to care for those that are in our circle or in our influence. This class is, is fairly empty today, but I can tell you right now, there's not one person that I love more or less that is here versus the regulars that aren't here. Does that make sense? I love you guys all, all right? Even you guys, you just came, all right? Um, we bless you and, and we thank you and we appreciate you coming here today. But this class is part of my circle. And today the people that are in this room are part of our intimate circle. And we share our hearts and we care the best we can in this moment. Um, can we care better in the other moments? Yeah, there's certainly times where we drop the ball. But all I'm living in is this moment. And all you live in is this moment. 
are we caring the best? And if we're truly caring the best, then not only are we taking away our own aloneness, but we're taking away someone else's aloneness. Joe? Uh, I like what you said. I think that in, in what we've been tasked with, I think the thing that Pastor really pointed out, and I think that it would behoove all of us to really chew on it deeply, is the idea of grace and truth. Because grace and truth says from a caregiver standpoint, you know, that grace is that I'm here for you. I want to set up a safe place for you. I want to, because let's face it, everybody has trauma. Everybody has hurt. And in order for us to be the people that God's calling us to be, we have to walk through that, which is, which is painful, right? And God makes community so that we don't walk through that alone. Right? So the grace part is that we come alongside and we're open and we're vulnerable. Like Ron says, we share what God has done in us and how God is leading us to help them. right? But at the end of the day, the truth is that we can't do it for them. Mm -hmm. The truth is that we can be here and we can make this community and we can make this a community of love and, and compassion and openness, but we can't make you pick up the phone. Yep. We can't make you come into community. And I just wrote that to a bunch of men this morning because I had a bunch of men in a group I ran a few months ago that in that group they said the number one thing that they needed was they needed connection. They needed intimacy with, with other men, relational intimacy. They, need, they needed those things because God had shown them that that was the one thing they were missing, right? So we have this text chain where we, you know, God shows us something in the morning. We text each other. We, you know, encourage each other. We spur each other on. But there are few men who haven't heard from the most. Right? And so I woke up this morning and God says, you need to give them a dose of grace and truth. And the grace was, your brothers are here, they love you, they pray for you, they, they long to be in community with you. The truth is, if you never pick up that phone, if you never answer that email, if you never answer that text, the very thing that you said that you wanted will never happen. Because here's the bottom line, we can't go out and pull you into community. Okay. And it's that grace and truth. And so I think that for all of us, we need to learn how to do that well. Right? And so, and then we can go to bed at night being okay. Because again, on the other side, we don't want to be codependent. Mm -hmm. Right? We don't want to, you know, have our whole lives just like intermixed because, you know, why isn't this person I'm doing all the, you know, we don't want to be that. And our heart wants to, to break for them. Right? to a certain extent. And I hope that doesn't sound cruel, but what I'm saying is we can pray and we can love and we can be on our knees for 20 years for that person, asking God to intervene for that person. But the grace part is if it takes that person 20 years to get there, right? When that person finally comes, we're there, mm -hmm. right? But the truth part is if they don't ever come, right? We can't own that part of making that person 
We're not their God. We're not their. We're not their God. We're not their Holy Spirit. Yep. Right. We're not their conscience. Exactly. So, quick questions. What do I usually say? Any questions, comments, or snide remarks? No, that's my wife. I've adopted it. Teddy. I'm just thinking back um, to a year ago. Um, we were doing a different topic. We were doing safety. And um, it came to me the point where um, I was like, oh, yeah, I really got to deal with this issue. And um, I think it's tied into a lot of the same thing of grace and truth because one of the other aspects to truth to walk in when you're trying to walk and be that person that you need to be a caregiver um, and not just be a caregiver um, be a safe person in a relationship I mean that's one of the key mm -hmm. things to help and um, I was really mad when we did that so it was <laughs> like what are you talking about yes I absolutely need this in my life God <laughs> Why am I having to be the safe person? I need the safe people. But the other part of the truth of, of that was walking with walking with grace, meaning being open to these people, so being in relationships with people where you don't have to trust, you don't think you can do it, you don't know how you're going to do it. Um, but I'm still going to honor. It's, it's honoring God with the grace to continue to be in relationship with somebody that just really hurts you really deeply and badly. Um, and the truth part of it was, though, that along that step is that <coughs> learning that the truth is that God's there with us. Mm -hmm. So every time mm -hmm. you need to show grace, every time you need to walk in grace, every time that you need to lay down your pride or your anger or your claim for justice, mm -hmm. he's there with the truth that says, that still matters to me. Mm -hmm. I still care about that. Mm -hmm. I'm still your truth. Mm -hmm. And that no matter what human fails you, you're going to walk forward in that truth. Mm -hmm. And nothing's going to, nothing is going to hit it. Nothing's going to tear it down. Nothing's going to take it away. Amen. Um, Good word. And, and so it was really a challenge. And it's just been really in my mind going back to a year ago, thinking about that and how it looked like. Yes, the Sometimes God calls us to be exactly what we need for ourselves because He then partners in with us to mm -hmm. feel that feeling, and that's how that relationship change comes in. Yeah. And it's just really kind of amazing to, to see that happen. It's like, well, that's exactly what I thought I needed, and you needed to teach me that by making me that. And sometimes mm -hmm. it's just really amazing to see that, that the truth that walking in that vulnerability, which was changing the whole way I live, the whole way I look at me, how I do work, and home and other things. And it's just been amazing because I found that there's God's strength that I wasn't tapping into just all these things. Yeah. And that's just that finding that you're sheltered in the rock, you know, even within that vulnerability. And I was just something I was just starting to kind of get a picture of to see how that works in life. But um, it's 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 amazing how much more doable it is than you even think initially, and even try to imagine. You know what I mean? 
So I guess you know, the takeaway was that learning so much to trust God a lot more with that than at any time has um, really just opened up so much. Even like with Ethiopian going forward and let that past be in the past because you know letting that stuff go, you need to move forward. Yeah. What a great healing moment. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. It's good. All right. Okay, we're going to close. So I'm going to ask you guys to pray with me, actually. Father God, help place a person on my heart who needs your care through me this week. And help me initiate care, vulnerably share, and love them as Jesus does. Amen. I mean, that'll work. Love you guys.